Good evening, everyone. It's Sean the Baptist live on this Wednesday, December 2nd. Good to be with you here live from St. Patrick Catholic Church in Kansas City, Kansas, my home parish here right now. Well, we are finally in the middle of Advent. Maybe this is finally something good in 2020. Uh, lots of people are excited that we're, we're getting to the end of, of 2020. As we talked about last week, we are we're in a new year. It is a new liturgical year. Welcome to the year of grace, Anno Domini 2021. That's right, it starts now uh, in the lectionary cycle. It's year B1, if that means anything to you. We're, we've uh, flipped the page. So I'm going to think of it as a new year because I'm a liturgical nut. So yeah, it's a new year for me. It's a new year for the, the church and our, our calendar. So uh, excited to uh, kind of kick that off with you here tonight. So as we enter Advent, this is a, a season then of, of preparation for Christmas, but we'll notice particularly at the beginning, it's also a preparation for the return of Jesus in glory at the end of time. And we, we kind of talked about this this last week, uh, but uh, tonight I'd like to talk a little bit more about some of the, the key figures of uh, Advent. And uh, particularly tonight we're going to look at Mary. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Mm. Well, we can't really have Christmas without Mary, so that's, that's not such a bad thing. But people have lots of questions about Mary. Well, what's her role? What does she do? What does it mean to say she's the mother of God? Coming up this week, December 8th, we'll have the Solemnity of Her Immaculate Conception. What's that all about? Uh, really do want to take your question tonight. So right away, uh, I see, let's uh, let's take a look at who we, we've got on here now. So we, we've got Frank Rosas, a, a longtime uh, listener, always faithful. Mark Gilstrap is on so uh, two of those checking in right away. Last week we had people from parishes just all over the place with us. So uh, that was wonderful uh, to see that Sean the Baptist Live gets, uh, well, all over to lots of people. And uh, I'm excited about that. Um, you know, I as, as we start tonight too, I'd, I'd like to, as we get more people on, maybe do just a little uh, plug for my own stuff here. Uh, SeanTheBaptist.org. Uh, is, is kind of where everything lives. We're, we're doing this, obviously, on uh, Facebook Live. Um, but a lot of people, you know, maybe some of your friends even, they, they don't do Facebook. We, we know that there's been a lot of kind of social media sort of uh, issues and stuff, and do, do people really want Facebook, whatever. Uh, it's still the best thing out there right now. Um, so for live stuff, that that's what I do. Hey, Ryan Graves, good to, good to see you on here. Welcome. Um, but if you go to seanthebaptist.org, I've created uh, three podcasts now. So uh, this all started, gosh, Sean the Baptist I founded back in 2008. Well, I mean, technically, that before that, I, 2005 was really when I started uh, a blog way back in the day. And all those posts are still there, so you can go back on seanthebaptist.org all the way to 2005 and, and find that stuff. Um, but... Uh, over the, the course of time, it, it started uh, as a way to post my homilies because I, I don't I, I got no notes. I, I don't write things out. I, I do plan things ahead of time, uh, but uh, I don't normally work with, with notes a whole lot. And that's certainly true of my, my homilies. Uh, so people are like, hey, can I get a copy of that homily? Well, uh, sadly, the answer was, uh, well, no. Uh, I don't really have a copy of the homily. Um so that's uh, that's how I decided. Well, maybe I maybe I need to. So what I did was I, I created SeanTheBaptist.org, and I just started recording the the Sunday homilies, and that's how the 
the the website got started and eventually that's it, it became a podcast so that uh original sean the baptist podcast it's i forget when i put the stats on it just a couple of years ago it's like thirty-eight thousand uh visitors over the last couple of years uh so uh lots of people have found that uh but like uh, this show the sean the baptist live show some people uh they, they don't get it on facebook so i do put it on youtube afterwards so you can you can go to the uh, sean the baptist youtube page which you can get to from seanthebaptist.org uh and you can find it on YouTube, but then lots of people do podcasts right now. So I, I do podcasts. I listen to them all the time in the car. If you don't know what a podcast is, uh, it's basically a software on your, your phone or your tablet or even your computer that will automatically download like audio episodes of a show that goes you know weekly or in, in the case of one of mine, daily. So if you go to seanthebaptist.org and you click on podcasts up in the menu uh, or go forward slash podcasts, You'll see I got three podcasts now. So there's the original one, which is now Sean the Baptist homilies. Uh, and that's got all the, the Sunday homilies all the way back to 2008 when I was ordained. So you can go get that. I, actually, I think it keeps like the last hundred or, or something. I'm on like 472 or something. So there are 472 homilies uh, out there. Um, you can automatically get the this week's. I put it up on Sunday and you can get it. But I've added two more, and so there is this uh, show. Sean the Baptist Live is also a podcast now. It gets up there sometime Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Uh, so if you want to just listen in your car or pass that on to people. But the one that I'm really kind of excited about right now uh, is a podcast I created called Morning Message. As you remember, before uh, before the summer, we used to do Sean the Baptist Live every night for about half an hour. Well, now that we can actually go to church and things, we, we probably don't need you know an hour live show every night. But uh, I kind of missed that little daily touch with uh, the parishioner folks. So if you, if you go to the uh, Morning Message podcast, so Sean the Baptist Morning Message, uh, wherever you get your podcast, this is about five, seven minutes at most, a little morning spiritual meditation, maybe on the readings, maybe on the saint, uh, maybe on just something that's going on. I invite you to check that out. So seanthebaptist.org, you can click on podcasts or forward slash podcast and check out all three of those. And, uh, you know, if you're like, hey, I got an Android phone, does it work? Or I use Spotify. Yeah, it gives you links to all that. I'm on Spotify, Amazon, iTunes. If you search iTunes for Sean the Baptist, you should see all three podcasts. Go ahead and hit uh, subscribe on that stuff. And, and that way you just get it delivered. And that, that little morning message, a lot of people say they really like that. Uh, just put it on in your car, on your, your way into work or whatever you need to do. Uh, I normally put that up about 9.15. I mean, technically, it, it is live if you happen to catch it, but that's just because it's more work for me to do a video and and then upload it because when I'm live, I'm live, and I, I do better that way. So I just, I just turn on my camera and I start talking, and, and that's that's how it goes. And when I'm done, I, I upload it to YouTube and, and create the podcast. So three podcasts out there. Check that out. Uh, the, the other thing that I'd like to bring to your attention is... Uh, my my Facebook page, you're you're watching it uh, tonight. But if if you haven't liked it, go ahead and click the like button on uh, the Sean the Baptist page. Some of you I've I can invite uh, people to like and I can forward it on. But uh, if you have maybe followed me but not liked it, go ahead and click like uh, on Sean the Baptist. I think if you if you hover over uh, Sean the Baptist. The, the link where it says Sean the Baptist, 
you you'll get a, a chance to click like. So if you haven't done that, do that, pass it around. Uh, that way I can get in touch with more people. All right, so that's a uh, it's a little bit about the commercial. And if you've got uh, if you've got suggestions for things you'd like to see, let me know. I uh, I was a computer programmer before I was a priest. I guess I still am a computer programmer. Uh, and so the website I wrote all myself. I manage it all myself. It's all my stuff. So I, I like to do new things. I'm working on uh, categorizing my homilies a little bit better so that uh, with 470-some homilies out there, you can imagine what I'm finding is that uh, other priests like to apparently look at the homilies because I mentioned the reading cycle. It repeats every three years for the Sundays. Well, I can see... My website gets hit pretty heavily on three, six, and nine years ago every week uh, for the Sunday. So people are obviously looking at my old homilies, and I'm, I'm trying to make it a little better to uh, access that. All right? All right. Well, with, with that, I kind of teased it a little bit in uh, the title there, Merry Christmas. Mary is, of course, the, the figure of Christmas without which there would be no Christmas. Uh, in fact, uh, the whole plan of God to enter creation... Uh, as if it's not enough that in the beginning, God would decide that he's going to create. I mean, that's a miracle in itself. Why do that? <laughs> and, and the only answer is because he wanted to. Uh, sometimes we get involved in these other creation myth stories. Uh, and you may know that like, oh, there, there are other stories out there about the creation of the world or even, you know, people being born of a virgin or whatever. Like none of them match up really in the end at all with the the true story of God's creation and Christmas um, particularly in the creation all the other creation stories a bunch of gods get together and they're like sitting on their couches up in the heavens and they're eating ambrosia and they're lazy and they're like hey we need someone to serve us so let's let's create some people to to serve us Okay, and then they're like, or one god kills another god and takes his entrails and forms him into earth or something. It's crazy stuff. Okay, the, the actual creation story in Genesis is, is nothing like that. And most especially because Genesis begins in the beginning, God, it, already there. No, not made from anything, didn't start to exist. God's just there. Well, we know then from, from all time, God planned to enter his creation. Now, God didn't cause Adam and Eve to sin. We, the, the real mystery of God's creation is that he gives us free will. I mean, that's pretty stinking crazy. Uh, God, who is all-powerful, if we wanted to make a bunch of servants, he could do it. Um, but we know that the real God is love, not lazy on a couch. And so he decides that, well, I mean, what, what do you give the guy who has everything? I mean, literally, God has all power, all knowledge, everything. Well, he decides, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create it, uh, an experiment, as it were, and I'm going to create beings in my own image who are completely free. And I'll see if they choose me or not. Wow. I mean, God did that. And he knew from the beginning of creation that some people would choose him and other people wouldn't. And, and we, we talk all the time about, well, why, why all this bad stuff? You know, why, why do people choose to do evil? Why does God allow that? Well, because God made us free. And so we are, in fact, free to choose badly. And that's the, the necessary consequence of being really free to choose to love. But that means when you choose to believe in God, when you choose to love God, that's that's, that's the real deal. There ain't no one forcing you to do that. And so that's why we really look at the, the martyrs and the saints and we could say, I want to be like that. They used their freedom to choose God. And that is 
Incredible. Well, God saw from all eternity that uh, ultimately we we would, in fact, reject him. Um, and and so, you know, he still chooses to create. I mean, that in itself is, is also pretty amazing. Uh, God knows that we will reject him, and he knows that he's going to mount a rescue mission. So from all eternity, there were three persons in the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the second person of the most holy trinity in the what we call the fullness of time chooses to enter his own creation as, as if it were not enough that that god made creation free to choose and reject him he he knew that creation would reject him and so he chooses to freely enter his own creation now i don't know about you but if if i created something like that and they're like yeah screw you i'm like i just like wipe you all out and I mean, fairness, God kind of did that with Noah and the flood, but not completely. Uh, but yeah, how many times, if you look at the history of the Old Testament, should God have just said, all right, that's enough. Uh, but he doesn't. It's as if hanging on for the, the long term it even gives him greater glory. And so he does hang on with man for, for quite a while. And finally, he says, you know, they're just not going to be able to do it on their own. <laughs> we got to mount a huge rescue mission. So the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, the Son, eternally begotten of the Father. So there wasn't a time where he didn't exist. He always was existing, begotten of the Father. But there is a time when he enters time. And we, we talked a little bit about time last time. <sighs> Crazy stuff. All right. But Jesus enters time. And he he doesn't become Jesus uh, un, until this. And, and when does he become Jesus? Well, this is where really Mary and the whole Christmas story come about. And so I want to talk tonight a little bit about Mary and her role. And if you've got questions about Mary or anything I'm talking about, go ahead and throw those out. I see we uh, that uh, Bob Dorst uh, joined us. Welcome, Bob. And and Lisa Gossenard is on as well. Gossenard Moore, good to have you guys on. Um, so maybe the first thing that we need to, to know about Mary is that Mary was chosen to be the mother of God, the mother of Jesus. And we'll, we'll talk about why. Mother of Jesus means mother of God. Um, but Mary, too, was free. So uh, the first thing that we know is that God certainly gave her special graces for her special mission. And you're like, well, how can he be free if, if he knew what he's going to do? Well, all the prophets, at least a lot of them, talk about in their call that, you know, God God chose them, Jeremiah says, before created in the womb. Uh, so there is a sense in which, since God knows everything, yeah, he he knows about Mary before she's created, and he knows about all of us before we were even thought of by our parents. God knew us from all eternity, even before we existed. Well, since God knew that Mary was going to be offered the choice to be the mother of God, he created her in a very special way. Now, not unlike normal human beings, she is not superhuman. She does not have any abilities naturally speaking, that humans don't have. But what she does have is something that most humans, in fact, all other humans, are, are missing at the moment of their conception. And that is Mary has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and therefore absence of the original sin, the consequences of it from Adam and Eve, from the first moment of her conception. Okay, and this is what we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate next week on Immaculate Conception, December 8th. Sometimes people get confused. They think Immaculate Conception, maybe it's because we're in the Christmas story. People think, oh, the Immaculate Conception, you know, yeah, Jesus was conceived immaculately, meaning with, without a father. 
Uh, no, that refers to the perpetual virginity of Mary and the virgin birth of Jesus. When we talk about the Immaculate Conception, we're talking about the fact that when Mary was conceived, when Mary came into existence in the womb of St. Anne, her mother, she was conceived in the natural way. Joachim, her father, and Anne, her mother, came together in the normal human way, but God intervened to prevent original sin from ever touching Mary. So from the first moment of her conception, she was gratia plena, full of grace. And we'll, we'll hear this in the message of the angel Gabriel. Now, people will say, well, this can't be because if that's true, then, then Mary didn't need saving. And Mary says herself, right in the Gospel of Luke, uh, she refers to God, my Savior. So clearly, if she needed saving, she needed saving from something, so she must have sinned. Not true. And here's the way the church has always explained this, uh, although I'll use a perhaps a little more modern example. Uh, there are two ways that one could be saved from sin. And, and maybe a, a better example would be to use, say, a, a lake and drowning. Now, there are two ways that you can be saved from drowning. Let's say you're drowning in the lake. Well, someone can, you know, since I'm a aquatics instructor from the Boy Scouts, you know, you thought I was going to say someone can jump in and go swim out and save the person. No, that would probably be stupid for most people. And most lifeguards would not do that. Uh, especially if it's like the middle of winter and there's ice or something. No, uh, as we say in the scouts or any kind of lifeguarding, reach, throw, row, go. You first try to reach, then you would try to throw something like a ring buoy. Then you might take a, a boat out if it's like uh, large water, then you might go. So let's say someone's drowning. I know that's a little scouting aside. Reach, throw, row, go. My scouts know this. Let's say you save that person. So you throw them a ring buoy. And they grab onto it and you pull them in. Yay, you saved them from drowning. They're like, okay, well, what's the other way? Well, the other way to save someone from drowning is to prevent them from falling in the lake in the first place. So maybe you see your friend playing a little too close to the edge of the bridge or something. And so you reach out and pull them back right at the last minute and you keep them from falling in. Did you save them from drowning? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Because they were going to drown if you didn't reach out and pull them back. You saved them. And, and that's the way to understand the Immaculate Conception, really. Mary did not fall into the muck of sin and death like everyone else and have to be pulled out like the rest of us. But she was saved from it because Jesus prevented her from falling in in the first place. She needed Jesus as her Savior as much as anybody else. He just worked in a different way with Mary. Okay, so whenever you hear people saying like, oh, Mary needs a savior, so she couldn't have been free from sin. She can't be immaculately conceived. Uh, no, okay? All right, so there's a little bit about the immaculate conception, which we're, we're getting ready to, to, to celebrate. Uh, and uh, so now we need a chance to, uh, now that we got that straight, we know that uh, God, when he comes to Mary, so then she's been prepared. She does not have sin. She gets a chance to uh, respond in freedom to the angel Gabriel. And, and that's the beautiful Christmas story. And I'll, I'll look tonight from the, the Gospel of, of Luke, where the angel Gabriel does come. It says, in the sixth month, the sixth month, hmm, sixth month for who? We'll find out. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Okay, now right away, hail, full of grace. What is this about? Well, the, the, the Greek here uh, would be a, a rather uh, upsetting sort of greeting for a poor peasant kind of woman like Mary because the angel, well, as if it's not upsetting enough that there's an angel in front of you. I mean, that would kind of freak anybody out. But the angel greets Mary with the greeting, Kyrie. And you're like, I mean, we hail, Kyrie. Well, that's that's not normally how you would greet someone. It's it's kind of a, a royal greeting. That's like hail. You know, if, if I saw you on the street and I said, hail, you'd be like, you know, did you leave the Renaissance Festival or something? What's wrong with you, Father Sean? Well, Mary has that um, kind of reaction. And that's why... Uh, it says after that uh, that she was greatly troubled at the saying. So sometimes we read that, like, what the heck? Why is she greatly troubled? Well, and she considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. Well, not as she just uh, also upset by the hail part, but full of grace. Uh, in, in the Greek, it's, it's even stronger. It means she who is completely filled now and always has been and always continue to be filled full like a like a cup is completely full of water there's no room for anything else that kind of full of grace of the lord's favor this is exactly what people who have original sin lack they are not full of grace from the moment of their conception they are full of the the emptiness of the spirit they're they're belonging to the kingdom of satan that's why in baptism we do an exorcism, Holy Spirit rushes in, and now, in baptism, you get filled with grace. But even then, not as perfectly as, as Mary is completely full of grace. So it's no wonder that Mary kind of freaks out a little bit. Like, okay, this angel is here. That's scary. Uh, he just greeted me like some kind of queen. Uh, I live in a cave. We'll talk about that. Uh, and he's saying that I'm full of grace. That's weird. Okay, so that's why Mary is seen as pondering all this. Um, and so then the angel says to her, do not be afraid. Yeah, because she was. You have found favor with God. And that's really what full of grace means, full of God's favor. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I have no husband? All right, let's, let's take that apart a little bit. All right, the angel says to Mary, You will conceive and bear a son. All right, well, that doesn't seem so strange because after all, we've read previously that Mary is betrothed to Joseph. And although it's before they lived together, um, you know, uh, the way the betrothal worked in the, in the Jewish times is that uh, two people who are betrothed, it's, it's, it's bigger than an engagement. In fact, you would be called husband and wife at the time that, that you are betrothed, uh, but you don't live together yet. In fact, for about a year, maybe, you would you would live apart. The husband would go off and prepare a home, make sure he had work. And then after a year of betrothal, he would come to the bride's house, the house of her father, and take the bride home to his new house. Uh, so this is in that period where they're betrothed. 
but they're not living together yet. Joseph hasn't come to take Mary to his home. So part of this was to prove that they can live chastely and, you know, that they're not marrying out of lust or anything like that. Um, so the fact that Mary is told that she will conceive a son, that doesn't sound so weird uh, because we don't know how far along in the betrothal they are. But, um, you know, she would have, we think, you know, been thinking, well, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm marrying Joseph and then we'll have, we'll have kids, right? Uh, no. And we'll, we'll see exactly why this is now. Um, she says, how can this be uh, since I have no husband? Why is she surprised at this? I mean, if she plans to marry Joseph and have children with Joseph, there wouldn't be this shock. There wouldn't be this fear. Mary would have no reason to respond to how can this be since I have no husband. It's like, well, yeah, I, I do have a husband and we're getting married. And so, yeah, we're going to have a son. Great. That sounds fine. But that's not what Mary says. She's like, no, how can this be? Well, we don't have the, the explicit answer to this in scripture, but the tradition uh, is that Mary was presented in the temple as a young girl and either formally like that or just privately, she never intended to have children. In fact, she was a virgin and intended to remain a virgin. Otherwise, there'd be no reason for her to be surprised at the fact that she would conceive and, and bear a son. She probably would have intended to have many sons, except Mary didn't because she had consecrated herself to God. Now, this wasn't all that common at the time of Mary, but it was, certainly wasn't unknown. Uh, John the Baptist himself was consecrated to God from uh, the moment of his birth. His parents consecrated him. We have other instances like Samson, uh, Samuel. And uh, so, yeah, we have instances of virginal consecration to God, and it's clear that this is why Mary is surprised. Because even though she's marrying Joseph, they had obviously made some agreement that they weren't going to have children. And so Mary is surprised. Also surprised uh, would be that he's going to be called son of the most high, uh, marrying Joseph. Um, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Really? That's pretty interesting. He's going to be of the line of David. Gosh, the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. Uh, that's uh, Jacob, the father of, of Joseph and the 12 sons of Jacob. You know, Jacob, Jacob and sons, those guys, the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's going to be a son of David. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. All right, right away. That would, would cause people to think, wait a minute, we know about such a promise. We, we've been waiting for a long time for God to fulfill his promise that there would always be a, a king of the house of David ruling over his people. I mean, that's the Messiah. Right at the time of Jesus, there, there was no king. Okay, there, there's, there's Herod, but he's not the real king. Uh, he's not even a Jewish. And so they're like, yeah, God has not been faithful to his promise, but they're holding out. He's going to do it. There's going to be a king of David that will come. The Messiah will come. And so here comes the angel Gabriel to tell Mary, uh, yeah, you are going to conceive and bear a son. And let me tell you a little bit about this son. He's going to be in the house of David. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Well, that's exactly what was promised of the Messiah. You know, there's this uh, song that... Uh, is popular uh, today called Mary Did You Know? Mary Did You Know? That you're a baby boy. Yeah, it's got this, 
mean, it's got a nice, cool little tune to it, but, you know, um, it's all kind of put as a question, you know, as if, you know, I, I suppose the presumed answer is that Mary didn't know. Problem is, most of what's in the song, um, the answer is yes, Mary did know. In fact, when she would have, like, heard the words that Angel Gabriel just said to her, okay, she knows this, this this child is not conceived by any human. Okay, that would be the first clue that um, he's kind of special. Uh, but then, the, you know, he's going to reign as king. Uh, yeah, Angel Gabriel told her. You know, is there some things that, that Mary didn't know, like, explicitly, like that Jesus would walk on water? Well, he created everything. I mean, if this is God that's in her, which she knew it was, it wouldn't be beyond the possibility that, sure, I mean, if God created water, certainly he can walk upon it. Uh, but would she have explicitly seen, yeah, of course, Jesus is going to walk on water. Maybe not. But a lot of the other stuff, the idea that did Mary know, like, that her baby boy was the son of God? Yeah. Yes, she did. Okay? So I, I, I like the little song, Mary, did you know? But point in fact, the, the answer to, to most of the questions is, yeah. Yes, she did. Mary knew. Okay? So keep that in mind. All right. So she says, uh, yes, then, uh, that the angel Gabriel comes to her, tells her about this uh, incredible thing. And Mary says to the angel, you know, how can it be? I have no husband. And the answer of the angel is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Um, Mary, did you know that your child would be the son of God? Yeah. The Holy Spirit told me. Uh, Holy Spirit's my spouse. I was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Again, this is a an important word, overshadow. Sometimes we uh, uh, we we don't emphasize enough the, the real freedom of Mary. But the the scriptures use this this word. That notice that Mary is not like overpowered. Um, you know, it's not like the Holy Spirit is going to possess you or take you over or like. No, it's a it's a gentle kind of thing. The Holy Spirit will overshadow like a a gentle kind of dew or cloud that comes down. Uh, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Mary, did you know? Yeah, she knew right there. Child will be the son of God. And in case Mary needs a little sign, she says, and behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, John the Baptist. Woo, we'll talk more about him later. He is the star of Advent, John the Baptist. It is the sixth month with her, Elizabeth, who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible, including that Mary, a virgin, will conceive God. And then the most probably important words of all of salvation history. Mary says, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Those words, here, God risked everything on, on, on this moment. I mean, he risked everything in the beginning by creating us in a way where we had freedom. He's already seen that time and time again, his creation disappoints him. People don't choose God. They, they choose to worship pagan gods. They build golden calves. They worship foreign leaders. They intermarry with pagans. Over and over, man has proved we can't be trusted. And yet, even the rescue mission itself, God deciding, I'm willing to come to my creation, he chooses to make it all hang on the consent of a teenager living in a cave in the middle of nowhere. 
that is awesome. And of course, he had created Mary. He knew what she was capable of. Um, Mary is the greatest woman that has ever lived. All of salvation depended upon this moment where she says, yes. Now, if Mary had said no, I mean, could, could God have saved us by some other way? The answer to those kind of questions is, could God have, it's always like, yeah, he could have, uh, you know, could God have saved us, you know, at the, at the beginning without kicking at him? Yeah, sure. But the way salvation history has unfolded, it appears that everything hangs on Mary. Despite everything that God had done for her, prepared her for that moment, she could have said no. I, I don't think we are, we are thankful enough we, we see all the time where we are disappointed by people who, who don't do what they're supposed to do, who don't live up to expectations. Uh, here's someone who not only lived up to expectations, but just hit it out of the park. Mary, uh, a teenager, 13, 16 years old, something like that probably, she gets it. So, I mean, if you're a young person listening to this, God risks incredible stuff on you. He risked all this on, on Mary. Uh, and she said yes. And, and because of that, at that moment, God enters the world. This is one of my favorite things about the Holy Land. Um, I got to, uh, gosh, I, I spent three, three months in the Holy Land almost uh, when I was in seminary, 2007 to 2008, including like over Christmas. Um, and, and one of my favorite places that I, I got to pray was actually in Mary's house in Nazareth. Now, you're thinking like a house. Well, we, we've got, of course, the remnants of Mary's house, but but the other houses at that time, there were probably like 25 families that lived in Nazareth. I mean, small. But th these are more like caves than houses, okay? So there would be an above-ground part and an underground part. Um, and and so it's, it's basically a, a cave that has a, a front sort of built onto it for an entrance. Um, Mary was basically a, a teenage cave woman living in a little town of Nazareth in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so the, the great basilica of the Annunciation is built over top of that spot now. And so I got to go there and um, I got to, to go inside uh, the cave in the evening when everybody else was gone. And uh, I, I took out my rosary and it really hit me that there I was in the cave in Nazareth, Mary's house, praying the Hail Mary prayer, the Ave Maria, at the spot where like those walls first heard Angel Gabriel speak those words to Mary. People are like, oh, what's it, you Catholics and your rosary? Straight out of scripture, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. I, I got to pray that right in the spot where it happened. And it was amazing to just think about what happened there. And one of the things I love about that little little cave of Mary's house, um, we often quote John's gospel that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, verbum caro factum est. When we say that in the mass, we actually kneel in the extraordinary form or we, we bow uh, in the ordinary form in the creed. But at that one place in Nazareth, in the home of Mary, in the actual place where those words were spoken, it actually says, Verbum caro hic factum est. The word was made flesh here. It's just 
blows you away when you stop to, to think about that. I mean, oftentimes we think about, oh, well, well, Jesus entered the world in, in Bethlehem where he was born, uh, just to show that the, the church has been pro-life uh, since the time of, well, long before the New Testament, Jeremiah the prophet we talked about, uh, but the church from the beginning, when, when did Jesus exist in the world? Uh, the moment Mary said yes, and he was conceived as a single cell organism that quickly became a zygote and then an embryo and a fetus. That all happened right there in that little cave in, in Nazareth. And the church has built a church on that spot from the earliest days to mark the spot where that happened. Verbum caro hic factum est. The word became flesh here in in Nazareth. It, it's just a, a wonderful experience of uh, heaven meeting earth. Because that's really what happens. That We use the word incarnation. Remember I said the second person of the Holy Trinity always existed, eternally begotten, we say in the creed. But there's a moment in time where he enters time and the God who has no body takes on our own substance, our flesh and blood. He joins humanity to his divinity in what we call the hypostatic union at the level of his person, the one person, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And that little cave in Nazareth takes on flesh and is incarnated. Carne in, in Latin is, is meat or flesh. So to be incarnate means to be enfleshed. And so literally that's what happens in just a little cave in, in the middle of, of nowhere. Um, no wonder that the church pretty quickly wanted to repeat those words over and over. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Um, the, the rosary is all just straight out of the, the, the gospel of St. Luke. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's the words of Elizabeth when she, she greets Mary. How is it that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Uh, to pray the rosary each day is just to pray the gospel of Luke over and over. And uh, boy, we just, we can't do that enough, but especially here in Advent. Okay. Uh, Mark Gilstrap asks, do I know that song on my horn? Yeah, I can play Mary Did You Know on my on my trumpet uh, if I need to. Like I said, there, there are some uh, theologically more dense Christmas songs, shall we say. In fact, I'm going to do a show on Christmas songs. I'm going I'm to do a presentation here at St. Patrick's, uh, 7 o'clock on the 17th of December here, Thursday the 17th. But I'll, I'll do a little show on... Um, on, on some Christmas songs uh, in general. So if you've got a Christmas song you want me to talk about, you can you can go ahead and, and send those in uh, as well. All right, so we've got the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and and giving her this, this message of incredibly good news uh, that, in fact, she is going to be the mother of God. Now, what about this mother of God title? People sometimes take issue with this. Like, mother of God? How can we call Mary the mother of God? God existed forever, remember? You just talked about this. In the beginning, God. God always existed as three persons in one God. How can we say that Mary is the mother of God? Well, of course, we're, we're always talking analogously because, well, uh, we use words that are humanly understandable to talk about God. So, But in this case, it, it, we, we balk at the idea that, well, mothers... They give origin to their children. I mean, a person doesn't exist, and then husband and wife come together, and now they become mother and father. So mother contributes, you know, half of the, the DNA, and the father contributes half the DNA, and then the, the child grows in her womb. So 
it, it looks like the mother is the origin of her child. Now, there are lots of ways that that's not actually true. Um, but that's why people say, like, Mary can't be the mother of God. It also makes it look like mothers are superior to their children. Uh, so Mary isn't superior to Jesus. In fact, we've already said Jesus is her savior. So why mother of God? Well, first of all, this is a, a title that the church always used for Mary. But um, people, you know, we think, oh, today people have these questions. Fifth century, 430, uh, people got all in a ruckus about maybe we should just call Mary mother of the Christ and not mother of God. And you know who, who threw the biggest fit? All the lay people. Some fancy theologians got the idea like, oh, we shouldn't call Mary mother of God. Maybe we should just call her mother of Christ. And all the lay people in the church said, heck no. Of course she's mother of God. The, the Greek they are just is theotokos, the, the God bearer. The other faction, what did Christo talk us? Christ bearer. Um, so what does the church do when there's questions? We, we get all the bishops together under the protection of the Holy Spirit, and we have a council. And at the Council of Ephesus in 430, uh, with all the people supposedly praying outside, please let the bishops do the right thing. We know how that goes. Sometimes they screw it up, but not when they're all together like this. And so they, they get it right, and they come out and they say, nope. Mary is definitely Theotokos. Mary is mother of God. Now, why is that important? Well, it, it, it's not so much what it says about Mary, okay? It, yeah, yes, there's something about Mary. Uh, we, we talked about how special she is, how everything's contingent upon her. Yes, that's incredible. But, but, that's not what the, the bishops uh, at the Council of Ephesus were so worried about. What they were really worried about was not so much a heresy about Mary, that we would give Mary too much honor. What they were worried about was people questioning, when did Jesus become God? Well, he was always God, right? I mean, we talked about that. Well, we, we know that he's always the second person of the Holy Trinity, and we know there's this man, Jesus, walking around. Was he always God? Was there a moment when he was not God? Well, this is a heresy brought about by Arius, which the the Council of Nicaea knocked down, that there was a time when Jesus wasn't. No, so he's eternally begotten, homoousius, of the same substance of the other persons in the Godhead, okay? But was Jesus God in the womb of the Virgin Mary? This was the question. Or did he become God when he was born? Did we have a real human being in the womb of the Virgin Mary? Or did a human being not exist until he was born? And again, just to prove that the church has been pro-life for a very, very, very long time, the church says, no, that's a human being inside of, of Mary, human flesh. And that human flesh only came to exist by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit of Mary. The child conceived in her is the Son of God. So this child that is in Mary is God. So if Mary gives birth to a child who is God, Mary is mother of God. Just She's the mother of Jesus and Jesus is God, therefore Mary's mother of God. I mean, it's as simple as that. If, if Mary is not mother of God, then Jesus is not God when he's born. He's not God inside Mary. And if he's not God inside Mary, and if he's not God when he's born, when does Jesus become God? 
And now you got a big problem because you're saying there's a time when Jesus wasn't God and now you're Arian and you're a heretic and you're going to get punched in the nose by Santa Claus. So we don't want to do that. Little aside, okay, uh, at the Council of Nicaea that I talked about, uh, Santa Claus, uh, literally Saint Nicholas. Yeah, Santa Claus, actual person, Saint, live, Saint Nicholas. Uh, Arius, the priest, is up there saying, there's a time when Jesus was not spouting off his heresy. And, uh, well, Saint Nicholas gets so upset at one point that he actually punches Arius in the nose. True story? Well, if it's not true, it, it, it ought to be. Uh, so there's a great pictures of Santa Claus punching the priest Arius in the nose at the Council of Nicaea in 325. You can look that up. Okay, so the bishops have to come together. And what they really do by proclaiming Mary as mother of God, Theotokos, is to say, um, Mary gave birth to God. Not, not that she is the origin of his divinity, the way that a, a natural husband and wife might be origin of the humanity of their child. Mary is not the origin of the divinity. Okay, no one is saying that Mary is a god. She doesn't become a god because she gives birth to a god. This is all those that yucky pagan myth stuff. Forget all that. God always existed. In fact, he was God when Mary said yes, and he became incarnate in her womb. Jesus always was God. Mary's his mother. Therefore, Jesus is born of Mary, who is his mother, and she is mother of God. It's that simple. So, um, people who think they raised this question today, uh, no. Fifth century, uh, we definitively hashed that out. So, uh, Mark Gilstrap, good point. Wow, blows my mind. Yeah, who would have thought it? You give birth to God, you're the mother of God. So, I don't recommend trying that at home. It's kind of a, a singular one-time deal. And that that is one thing we should point out about a lot of the stuff with Mary. Uh, it only happened once. So it's not like we can say, how does God normally do this stuff when he creates messiahs? Uh, yeah, just, just once. So um, yeah, uh, keep that in mind when you're, you're thinking about Mary, that it, this is always um, an argument not from necessity, we would say, but from fittingness. Okay, necessity would be like, well, God had to do it this way. Well, of course, we said God doesn't have to do anything. But the argument from fittingness is that, isn't it fitting that if Jesus is going to take on flesh and be born in this world, and he gets to pick his own mother, essentially, wouldn't he want to make her perfect? Wouldn't he, he want her to be the most perfect symbol ever of the pure and spotless image of his, his bride, the church, to be? Wouldn't you want to do that? If you could choose your spouse, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to make it perfect. And I mean, so Jesus got to choose his mom. Uh, he got to choose the one to be perfectly represent, representative of his, his bride, the church. And so he chose Mary and he made her perfect. And that's pretty awesome. All right, let me know if you've got questions uh, out there. Uh, Mark's mind is still blown. So we'll, we'll see if any questions come out of that. Um, but that gets us on then to the, uh, the uh, events after that. So we were told that after this event, I uh, noticed that Mary is given uh, a message about her cousin, Elizabeth, uh, who lives down by Jerusalem, which is a multiple day journey. I, I forget how long it is. It might be like 75 miles, something like that from Nazareth down to Ankarem, the, the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah. It's a, it's a multiple day journey. 
And uh, so it says she goes in haste to visit Elizabeth. Why? Because it says the angel Gabriel tells her, hey, it's the sixth month. And Mary stays three months. And so, yeah, she, she stays for the birth of John the Baptist and to take care of him, Elizabeth. Um, again, we get the rest of the Hail Mary prayer when uh, Mary goes and greets Elizabeth. Mary says, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? At the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Hmm. Again, church pro-life, long time. We got two children in the womb who recognize each other. That is cool. John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth, his mother, recognizes the presence of Jesus in the womb of his mother, Mary, and John leaps and dances. Now, we shouldn't miss any of the connections here, and there, there's some beautiful connection with the Old Testament. Um, this is the, the way that Mary goes and visits the house and, and stays. This is the same way, if you look in the, the Old Testament, that the Ark of the Covenant, when David is, is bringing it up to the city, the Ark of the Covenant stops at the house of Obed-Edom, stays. Um, you know, David brings it to Jerusalem, dancing in front of it. Uh, he's, you know, the the house there is, who, who am I that my Lord, the Ark, would, would come and stay in my house? Uh, Elizabeth to Mary, who am I that the mother of my Lord, the mother of Adonai, literally, would, would come to me and stay in my house? Okay, so obviously Luke did not miss this. Luke understood uh, this is definitely fulfilling what we already saw in a, a type with the ark coming to Jerusalem to, to stay in the temple uh, back in the Old Testament. So that's a, a great uh, kind of image to look at. I, I recommend all kinds of, uh, prob probably a great book on this. Scott Hahn, Hail Holy Queen, read that book. The way Mary is the, the new ark, uh, beautiful stuff there. So she stays with Elizabeth. John the Baptist is born, uh, the greatest prophet ever born. So my namesake, I, I really love Advent because it, it's John the Baptist all over the place. Um, so it's about really to get good. In fact, like coming up here next week, every day at Mass, it's going to be John the Baptist this and John the Baptist that. And we, we read his name in the preface of the Eucharistic prayer. Of course, his name is in the Eucharistic prayer every day. Um, so John the Baptist is, is really the hero. Oh, somebody asked about this. Um, I think they thought... Maybe it was the the Holy Family, so I'll just uh, I'll just hold him up here, okay? Um, hello, Let's see if we can get him in focus. No, nope. there we go. This is John the Baptist and Jesus. Yeah, look at that. So it, it's right after Jesus's baptism, and uh, John is there with him. I love it. He's just got his arm around Jesus, and they're holding each other right after Jesus's baptism. So this is this is your. Uh, this is the real star of Advent. We know about the Christmas star. Here's your, your star of Advent. John the Baptist and, and Jesus. And uh, at this point, people ask about this little cone. So it we don't normally do commercials in, in the middle of the John the Baptist Live. Uh, but I, I actually do have a little commercial for you tonight. Because uh, the, the Archdiocese actually asked me to make a commercial to kind of uh, plug the upcoming uh, chances to go to confession. So you might wonder, oh, Sean, what's the deal with the little orange construction cone? Uh, it says on there, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's from Isaiah chapter 40, verse three. Um, Fortino, Sarah Fortino uh, from Cure of Ours back in the day uh, made this for me and it kind of hangs like a Christmas ornament. It's 
got a little bell in there. So uh, here's a little video uh, that, that I made uh, and you'll see why the construction cone in a second. Father Sean Tunic here with an Advent message. Advent is full of so many beautiful symbols. We think of Advent wreaths and decking our halls and, and even putting up our Christmas trees and Advent calendars and Jesse trees. But today I'd like to share my favorite Advent symbol. That's right, this orange construction cone. Now, you may be thinking, Father Sean, this is a symbol of hatred and anger and frustration. It even provokes unpleasant gestures at times. Why would you bring this hated symbol into the beautiful season of Advent? Glad you asked. Well, we think of the prophet Isaiah and John the Baptist with their words of warning to us to prepare a highway for the Lord. Make straight his paths. The rough places will be filled in, the crooked ways made straight. It compares God's coming to us this Advent like a highway, a road. Well, what condition is our road in? We know what happens when our normal roads get in trouble. They get potholes, they get all kinds of cracks in them. What do we have to do? Construction. And there's probably nothing that does in fact bring such angst as construction ahead. Well, this Advent, it's as if God has put a big construction ahead sign on the road of our life. How's your road? Is it full of potholes? Sins here and there? Maybe it's just one, one little one for a little while. Yeah, sure, no big deal. It's just one pothole. Well, but then there's another and another. Well, what do we do when we first fix potholes? Well, we'd send a little crew out to, to patch it. We're going to put a little patch on the pothole and then that one and then that one. And pretty soon, you can't tell where the original road was and what's patched. Well, brothers and sisters, that's what happens when we just try to handle our sins on our own. We patch that and we patch that and we think we're doing okay. We're not. Eventually, you just gotta resurface the whole thing. You put the road closed, construction ahead sign out, and you resurface. That's what we get to do in the beautiful sacrament of penance. Brothers and sisters, this Advent, it might be a little bit harder even to get to confession with all the social distancing and COVID, but we gotta go. Because our roads, some of them just look stupid. They've been patched so many times, it's ridiculous. It's time to resurface. You know what? Nobody likes road construction. I get it. It's annoying. But everyone likes a nice road when it's done. Isn't it time to get a nice road? You deserve a nice road. And you know what? God is coming. So get your road in shape. Get to confession this Advent so that you too can make a beautiful highway for God's coming and nothing will get in the way, least of which some stupid potholes. Happy Advent. All right, so there you go. There's a little uh, commercial message for your Advent edification to uh, go and get to confession. Now, I a lot of places we're not going to be having the uh, the typical kind of Advent penance service stuff because we can't get a bunch of people together. But um, I certainly invite you to seek out your priest uh, here at St. Pat's. We we have our normal confession times, and there's not normally a line, so uh, you are you are welcome to join in uh, as you are able. So tonight we, we've kind of gone through a little bit of the uh, the build up to Christmas and the role of of Mary uh, in that. Uh, after she meets up with her cousin Elizabeth, she does go back to Nazareth, and we'll we'll pick up later where Joseph comes on the scene and his reaction to this. 
we got about a couple minutes left tonight. If there are any questions, I see lots of people hanging on watching. So I'll, I'll leave a little bit of time here just in case anyone wants to jump in. Anything I talked about that you'd like to know more about, uh, either tonight or, or in the future, um, again, I invite you to go out to seanthebaptist.org and uh, sign up for the podcast. But And if, if you haven't, um, like this page on Facebook. And if you go out to my YouTube channel, Again, click on the little YouTube thing on seanthebaptist.org, and, and you can uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. And I, I do that multiple ways so that it's easier to share around because um, YouTube is probably the easiest way to share. In fact, you can find that little commercial that I just did. Um, you're welcome to find that on YouTube and, and share that around uh, so that other people, maybe, maybe someone needs to go to confession that you know, and it's been a long time. And they, they need some stupid little video with a construction cone to say, oh, look, here's a priest that, you know, he can be lighthearted about confession. Maybe it's not so scary. Okay. Uh, by all means, share around the, the little confession uh, video with people uh, so that um, maybe they will think it's less scary. And after all, who wouldn't want a nice road for, for Christmas? All right. Well, I guess that's going to be it for tonight then. There doesn't seem to be any questions. Uh, So uh, I I do thank you for for joining tonight. Uh, Again, there might be some people who who need to see this who don't know about it. So share it around. Uh, And uh, that's the way social media works. So thanks for being an evangelist, if you will will share this. SeanTheBaptist.org. Go check out all the cool things out there. Tell me what you'd like to see. Tell me what, what, what more you want. Um, we are in just the first week of Advent right now, but here's the deal. Advent goes quickly. I mean, I think we're used to Lent where we got like six weeks of Lent and like, oh, we we're just so ready for Easter by the time it comes. Man, Advent goes quick. Um, there won't be the same kind of partying and things like that this Advent. So use that well. A little more time for quiet. That's, that's pretty good. Okay. So I'm going to use it to pray. I've, I've taken a lot more time for prayer and quiet and silence. Do that. We won't have as many distractions, but uh, realize Advent's going to be gone before you know it. So use the time well. All right. Well, I thank you for, for joining me here tonight. This has been Sean the Baptist Live for December 2nd, the Feast of St. Bibiana uh, in the Extraordinary Forum calendar. It is Wednesday in the first week of Advent. We are just beginning our Advent journey. Tonight we've talked about Mary. And so tonight, I pray that I've enlightened you a little bit on the beautiful role that Jesus chose for his mother, the mother of God, the mother of Jesus. And uh, without her, none of us could have a Merry Christmas. So I wish you a Merry Christmas and to all a good night. God bless you.